thank you so much for joining Democratizing Music, where we interview content creators, struggling musicians, and basically anyone struggling to make a buck, whether that be performing, or even all the way up to well-established, maybe multi-album producers or bands that have gone on tour. We've done it all. And I just can't wait to introduce you to our interview this week. I'm joined today by Lo Sleazy. I met him on Clubhouse. We are both a member of this awesome community called NFTS.tips, uh, which is about bringing uh, blockchain and NFT technology to uh, anyone and everyone, and most notably uh, struggling artists. Um, Lo, I know, is a, a music producer uh, in the, in the hip-hop scene, and uh, I... I have not heard too much of his stuff uh, or really know much about his catalog. So I can't wait to find out more about it because really all of our interactions have been on that clubhouse app. So Lo, yeah, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a natural fit uh, when we were both in a, a room about basically democratizing art uh, and then we both were mm-hmm. musicians. So yeah, makes yeah, a lot of sense. yeah, for sure. For sure. It has definitely become my life mission. It wasn't before, but as I fell into the NFT space, it kept reminding me more of the MP3 revolution. And I remember how we got left behind and I'm determined that it does not repeat itself. That is such a good point. In fact, my show background page is, is mentioning the MP3 revolution and how, I know, uh, it seems like all the music hardware got real cheap around the same time that Napster mm-hmm. became a thing. It was kind of a weird overlap there. And yet, for yeah. at the same time, most artists didn't make a whole lot of money. I like <laughs> exactly because what happened was what I, I fear happening now is it was something innovative and creative, and it was a doorway for artists to come in, and the big fat labels came and blocked the door. And if you were able to squeeze your way in between the cracks, you might have slipped through. This for meeting is part, being recorded. They um they really blocked the lane mm-hmm. and they, they made it so that if you really look at it, the MP3 thing scared them so much. They kind of pushed the whole industry into streaming because they didn't like the fact that we were able to do what we were doing with MP3. Yeah. And if, if you really look at it, that's really what the NFTs has brought back. It's the, you can own here. It's yours. Take it. You can have one. You know what I'm saying? And it's cheap and it's free damn near. And it's easy and they hated that. And they liked the idea of, yeah, no, stream it. So you can listen to it, but you got to keep coming back to us for it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or They're like, really trying to... you ever buy a song through iTunes and then like get an Android phone and you're like, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. This is what I'm saying. Like, how can I buy a product, but I can't take it wherever I want? Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. So I, I think like, you know, us as artists, what I think happened last time, like, when we talk about the MP3 revolution and the internet revolution, what I think happened is the thought leaders in our space were like, fuck the rest of you guys. There's a bag over here. I'm going to get this money. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope that that doesn't happen again, because hopefully they learned their lesson because all those guys who did that, Oh, forget the, forget us. And let me focus on me. They got screwed. It's true. I, I, th- I don't think it was helped by the fact that like, all the musicians were probably distracted by their new music hardware that they could now afford. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. they were like, I'm going to record music. You didn't have to have to go to the studio anymore yeah. and spend $20,000 because now you can spend $10,000 and have a studio in your house. So, yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, that was what I was busy doing uh, during that time. So <laughs> I was just recording my material and, and having fun playing, learning that, that medium. But like, yeah, in the meantime, Apple and, and everyone else was busy, like figuring out how to gain the system to make money. And I see yeah. the same thing happening down the road within uh, with uh, tip, NFTs, rather. Like it's yeah. um, like Goldman Scared. Sachs has already identified it as like a hundred million dollar market in the next 10 years. So like the rich people are already looking at it with greedy eyes. And um, of course, the, 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 the opportunity for money laundering and tax evasion with art and NFTs is too, too enticing for them to pass up. Right. It's just too much. It's too much to be able to hide your money in assets that nobody's thinking about. Like, imagine if you bought a board eight for 150 ETH, right? You just look like a crazy person, but really, you're probably just hiding your money. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if that board ape is going to be worth something. Uh, exactly. You might, you might actually hit it out the park. You might have bought it just to hide your money. And then, oh, shit, look, it's actually worth some money now. So. And it's funny because like the whole money laundering thing is commonly pointed to as like concerns about cryptocurrency being used as an actual currency, right? But like it, it's funny that as you just pointed out, people use art as a uh, as a way it's of the, storing value and laundering their money all the time, right? It's the number one money laundering resource. Yeah. Number one. It beats everything mm -hmm. because what happens when the... Uh, the big time cartel guys and the, the traffickers and all these people with illegal money start collecting art, they start getting respectable because now he's an art collector or mm -hmm. he's an art dealer. So now that that washes a little bit of the dirt off. So it's very high up on their list of things. They love it. You take two, two, I know some I know some guys that that's actually how I got interested in art in the first place. Hmm. I knew some Haitian guys who uh you would have never thought were into art and they just started being around these art galleries and stuff and it was really intriguing to me and it wasn't until years later mm. when i was not even around these guys i realized what the fuck they were doing yeah yeah absolutely you know what i mean so yeah i mean i, I think the the thing that we have to watch out for are the the agent provocateurs, like the industry people who come in and pretend to be part of our community. And they're really just mining us for ideas. They're asking us about our pain points and they're, they're doing research on what would make us happy. But in the end, they're really just trying to take care of themselves. So I, I fear for those people too. A lot of times when you see these big, these big uh, industry people come into our rooms and they start asking questions, I'm very hesitant to answer. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. It's, it's become pretty clear to me that Clubhouse itself is at least partially mining all the conversations. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever gone out to like Clubhub uh, and, mm -hmm. and take yeah, a look. And Club Deck and stuff. They, yeah, they yeah. got like a giant word cloud of every, uh, here are the most common words said on the platform today. Like, oh, okay. So you guys are parsing everything that's said on your app and I, analyzing the data, probably mining it for everything and, and probably reselling it to anyone and everyone, uh, which uh, yeah. must be how they're making money, right? Which like, must be why they're worth a couple billion dollars already, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah, they're they giving you data, but they, listen, they're not just giving you data. They're giving you data from thought leaders in many different spaces. Yeah. We got some people dipping their toes down, like CEOs of most of the crypto exchanges and companies dip their toes in clubhouse they come in there that's true so it's like 
And it's not just crypto either. The music industry, all the heavyweights are on Clubhouse. Russell's going to be on Clubhouse in a few days. Russell Simmons is going to be on Clubhouse. Everybody's on Clubhouse. I got to I've talk to Snoop Dogg the other day. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I was just I'm a little fanboy. I, I yeah. was just like, oh, man, I love your stuff. He was like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> he was just classic <laughs> Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yeah. One of the first rooms I was in when I got on Clubhouse was MC Hammer talking about art and NFTs and shit. I was like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Come to find out, MC Hammer is a... Uh, an early investor in almost every company in Silicon Valley, which blew my mind. Like, yeah, he was smart with his money. He did not blow it. From like the a Bay. Lot of people. Yeah, and he's from the Bay. So it was like they were coming to him. Let's go ask MC Hammer for some money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, right? So, I mean, I would like to, you know, you know what we're doing with the NFTS Tips community. I'm trying to position myself as a a voice of reason mm -hmm. and you know like i'm i'm a, I'm a hip-hopper like straight up through and through like i've been making hip-hop records since 95 professionally like you know what i mean i've been getting offered record deals since 96 yeah i've turned down multiple record deals i've put out many albums i put out three albums just since last may dang so, dude yeah and um I'm, a, I'm prolific. I, I make a lot of I make a lot of content. And the, the thing is why I'm so sad that I was born so soon is because when I was shitting out content, the labels and the managers and people used to be like, you can't put out that much music. You're going to oversaturate the system. And yeah. that's not how it works. And, you know, do one project every 18 to 24 months. And we can see how that is the absolute opposite of what the, the way the world is now. It's the opposite yeah. of creativity, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you, know? you know what I'm saying? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like... Hang on, let me put my inspiration on pause. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck it. Oh, yeah, let me just stop creating for two years while you capitalize and monetize my artwork, right? Why don't you just leave me alone and just put the shit out? Yeah. That, that's what, that was my argument back in the days. I was like, why don't you just keep pumping the shit out and let the people decide what's the best? You want to curate my shit when you don't know nothing about my shit. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, so I was always frustrated with the music business. And, um, like, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, my last ex-wife uh, was a painter. Mm. And um, that led me into having my own art gallery and selling paintings. And once I, once I went to the art store and spent, like, 40 bucks on supplies... And sold that painting for five hundred dollars. I was hooked. Oh, I, I bet. I bet. That's oh, good. I was hooked. It's good oh, feeling. I was hooked. Yeah, you couldn't tell me shit. But the funny thing about it is, I haven't sold a painting in like two years. So hmm. it is, it, you know. But now I'm for sure a painter. Then I was just splashing paint and just I was hustling people out of their money. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm a, I'm a real artist. I'm a real painter. I really take my shit serious. And uh, I have so much things going on. I can't really be active in trying to promote myself as a painter. You know what I mean? The most I do is like Instagram and stuff like that. I have some paintings available on my website. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't really, that's not really my thing right now. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we all got to pick like one passion project, right? Like we can't, we can't have them all up in the hair at the same time. No. Nah. And to be honest with you, right now, what I'm doing is really the restaurant. Like, I have a restaurant and I got a food truck. I didn't even know that. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. Kind so of that's, food? that's really, 
Uh, we call it Floribian cuisine, uh, traditional American with a Caribbean twist. So, you know. Sounds delicious. Oh, it's spicy. It's spicy as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I like spicy food. Oh, and you know how some places you, you have to ask for it spicy. Here, you have to tell us not to make it spicy. Because oh. we're just gonna. It's just gonna. It's gonna be hot. So you have to tell me, no, I don't like spicy. Okay, cool. Uh, I'll fix yours. I'll make it drab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. Uh, I order from this Indian place down the street all the time, and uh, they ask me for like uh, a number of stars as, as to how hot it should be. I'm, I'm just like, just all the stars, make it as spicy as you ever make it, because that's how spicy I like it. So, yeah, yeah, Indians. Indians have a. Uh, well, my first ex-wife was Indian, so I will tell you that Indians have a spice level that even Caribbean people be like, "God damn, what is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> Right. There's Caribbean hot and then there's Indian hot. Like woof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that shit is fire. I don't know. Um how much have you seen like in in Clubhouse? I've seen a lot of rooms get started by like another club that's called like uh the anti NFT society that just are yeah. the, that's, that's cool. They make that's, some that's, pretty that's, funny jokes, honestly. Like JPEG. Those like, most of those people are most of those people are part of our community as well. Yeah, I've noticed. But like, I forget who's the head of it. I think it's, is it Trizzy Trunks or you know, it's not Trunks? But yeah, I love them. Yeah, they're hilarious. They, they are super funny. But I, I think that, like, I don't know. The NFT thing seems to be mo- mostly focused on like still art or visual art right now. And I think that a lot of people are kind of not, are missing the main, main attraction, at least from my perspective as a musician. So, like, for instance, uh, as a hip hop artist, right? I, I see a lot of potential there for your track to not just be released as a completed song, but then also be released as like um, a collection of stems that like are played back. But then, you know, if someone wants to buy that song, they could buy the rights to uh, license your beat and reuse your beat or sample that beat. Right. Like they could just. People are for sure doing that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, for sure doing that. Like the the idea of uh, ticket sales, like I'm not I'm not sure if you ever performed live low or if you uh, it, and if you did, like how many people you you ever got uh, to come yeah, out. I was on I was I was on tour with Snoop for a little while. Snap! So you guys probably got StubHubbed a few times, right? Where a bot came in, bought all your tickets to your show, and then oh for sure, oh for sure. And like that's not gonna be a thing once we can get artists to understand how they can sell tickets as NFTs. And like not only is that you don't fixing think, a you problem. Don't think- what? Oh wait! I mean, I had to cut you off. You don't think that some solidity coder is going to come up with a way for a bot to have a wallet? Oh, I I think that it's possible, but like I I also think it's possible that you could make it so that your website where you go, you know, you have to mint the NFT, right? You have to mint the ticket, so now you can list it on a website. So like you could make that website that you go to list it on your you know, your snoopdog.com tickets or, or whatever site, um, <laughs> you can make it have a capture thing to say, I'm not a robot. Like that's a technology that we, we have the capability yeah, of being. Sure. Yeah, we do. So yeah. like, to me, that seems like a huge opportunity. And plus like, I don't know about you. I still have a ticket stub from the first show I went to. Uh, back in like I used to collect lanyards and, and ticket stubs. I, I sure did. I, I lost my collection in the hurricane, but I, I definitely oh, damn. But that wouldn't have happened if they were NFTs, would it, Low? Exactly. Exactly. Yes, I agree 100%. I lost a lot of shit. I lost my comic book collection, my book collection. All of these things could have been digitals. You know what I mean? And I spent, like, I'm a collector at heart, right? So when I I thought about it the other day, I've lost maybe 
30, 40, 50,000 dollars in comic books and regular hardcover paperback like prose book like books, you know what I'm saying? Like uh, fiction books. I had a huge collection. I lost a record collection like vinyl. Yeah, vinyl hey. of maybe and you know the thing that made me feel the worst about it is like right after I lost the collection selling vinyl on eBay became a thing. Mm-hmm. Like I lost like literally maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of vinyl. Yeah. Fucking vinyl thing. exploded there. Uh, like crazy. Years ago. And it was, what it was, was my uncle. And this was, I wasn't really attached to the collection and that was the problem. Right. Oh yeah. So my uncle, my, my aunt's husband's father had been collecting vinyl since like the fifties. Right. Oh wow. And he had and he had like the mwah, most impeccable taste. When I tell you cross genre, like this man had everything from Buddy Holly to Bob Marley to you know what I'm saying? Like Holy Grail legit, of Vinyl like, Collection. Legit, yeah. legit, legit, legit. And um when his father died, he didn't want to throw it away. And he knew I was into music, so he gave it to me. And but then I got divorced, and she just was. I, she was making making my life hell. And the last thing I was trying to do was go over there for fucking records that weren't even really mine. I wasn't even really stressing it. You know what I mean? Right. You weren't invested. It, you had no skin in the game yeah. in some ways, right? Yeah. Exactly. And it was you know I didn't have a record player, and vinyl was dead. You know, what I'm saying? it was yeah. dead. Yeah. And so I, I just didn't care. She she trashed the shit, and then I. And then, like I said, shit just exploded. Everybody was like, anybody got vinyl, boy, you better sell it now. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Man, listen to that story. I feel like I was just at a blackjack table and just lost 400 bucks. <laughs> just like, oh, that sucks. Yeah, man. Well, that, that, that also is, uh, like I say, man, I've missed many boats. I've, I, it's been, by the skin of my teeth, I've missed wealth, like, so many times. I feel blessed. That I keep getting these opportunities because I, I look at us now here on the ground floor of this crypto and NFT wave that is going to change the world. And we are positioned as experts. We are positioned as early adopters. Like we have the answers to the questions that people are asking. And I'm trying to make sure that this is a boat I don't miss. I'm tired of standing on the shore. I want to go cruise the world. You know what I mean? I feel exactly the same way. That's yeah. That's why I went all all gas uh, on the uh, on the idea that I had related to the blockchain, which is yeah, fighting uh, deep fakes. Which we don't have to digress into that, but um, yeah, when I when I saw that opportunity, I was just like, okay, I'm dropping everything else in my life, and I am going to get this thing going as fast as I can because I'm the same way, man. I, I missed too many boats. I saw too many things go by. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought of thought of an idea for like an electric car engine that is remarkably similar to the tesla engine that's currently being used and i thought of that many many years ago and just never never did anything with it so, exactly it's execution man is these ideas that we have they're great as ideas but they're better at concrete steps yeah if you start doing the thing then it's way better you know what i'm saying even crypto man i read the satoshi white paper in 2010 a lot of people in my life I am the first place they ever heard of Bitcoin. And it makes me sick to my stomach that they have more Bitcoin than me. Yep. Yep. I have a, my coworker at my day job just, uh, just quit because he is a Bitcoin miner and, um, he, uh, lives in upstate New York where he gets, uh, gets very cheap power, um, from a hydroelectric Mm. dam. 
and he is he's killing it right now especially with uh china just going offline i imagine so yeah oh yeah it's, it's stepping up for all of us i'm a miner as well my partner in the restaurant he's a he's a uber miner he has like five rigs of like six seven gpus each he's insane yeah he makes a couple couple he makes a couple hundred bucks a day off, uh, off mining so. so you guys are still gpu mining he uh my, my co-worker went yeah. all the way to asic we got um, asic right yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't find it we just got in like march yeah it's impossible to find the hardware right now because of yeah. the microchip shortage but yeah. Uh, yeah even the gpus he was buying them like kilos in the street man it was crazy <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> meetups in parking lots it was offer up and craigslist and facebook and yeah yeah he was paying five times uh msrt for for gpus i i just uh <laughs> i just plugged in my old desktop uh computer that i used to use for gaming and uh had, hadn't used for a while since i'd been focusing on my music and business stuff and i just set it up and it's running right now to, to mine ETH slowly slowly but surely <laughs> Slowly but surely, right for sure. Yeah, mining pools. I'm, 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 I'm Doge on, I mean, Litecoin. Well, not Dogecoin, but Litecoin on the um on my CPUs, and I use the GPUs to mine Ethereum. Ah, oh, that's smart. That's smart. It reminds me of like uh, I'm not sure. I was a computer nerd way back in the day, so we, there was this thing called folding at home that people used to run on their computer to kind of benchmark them and make sure they were stable. And the, all it was was like participating in a scientific uh, study where they were trying to do protein folding. And it was basically guess and check, similar to, to proof of work, right? And mining uh, to where it would just, it was very taxing and time con- intensive to run all these calculations, but they, and that's why they farmed it out and crowdsourced it like that. Um, but yeah, it, mining very much reminds me of that experience of, oh yeah, I got a little window in the background telling me, yep, okay, mining, mining this block, mining this block, mining this block, and just doing its thing, doing its thing, yeah, but making, I, I think making money. It, it, I think it it's... Um... A, a method of doing things that is going to, I think all of this shit being in its infancy, right? Sometimes I think about what are the forward applications of this technology? Because right now it's like we're using, we're using scalpels to crack open coconuts. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, 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 the, the tool is finer than what we're using it for. We're not using the tools to the best of the tools ability. We're, is the applications I think are very blunt force things instead of being you know very articulate with the with the tool, meaning the NFTs and the, the crypto and everything. I think we're just you know we're just throwing everything on the wall and see what sticks instead of being purposeful in the way we do it. Everybody's experimenting, trying out random shit. We don't have any protocols on best practices yet. You know what I mean? And I think when we do. It's going to be interesting to see if we as artists can control the dialogue or if the big five or six corporate conglomerates will dictate to us how things will be. I think that's the coolest thing about this opportunity right now is that, I mean, in theory, I don't think that it's really possible for for them to necessarily dictate to us. Like if. As long as we can still write our own uh, smart contract and deploy it, as long as we're willing to pay the fee for it, you know, that's just now on the public blockchain and anyone could use it. So like if if someone changes the terms that are used to mint your NFTs on whatever platform you're currently using and you don't like that, like you just find someone to write you a new smart contract and you can start using that and everyone else can use it. Like just requires one good Samaritan. 
which is what's really helpful to me. Uh, as opposed to before, like almost every other system that's been set up in the world, basically, it's been it requires an army of good people to overcome a bad actor. Whereas <laughs> here, yeah. it's theoretically possible for a couple of good people to overcome those bad actors. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. But it's, like I said, that's why I brought up the, the agent provocateur before, because it's the worms inside of the apple that are the danger here in this community. You know what I'm saying? That's that's what I mean. It's the having the corrupted thought leaders, the people who have the influence to move the crowd, because we are moving as a community and as a family. So if someone who's considered an uncle or auntie or grandma or grandpa, an elder, is to be corrupted and lead us astray, that would be very easy to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it would be it would be quite detrimental, that's for sure. Especially yeah. if you know uh, what I mean? Yeah, especially yeah. if that community like NFT tips got taken over by something like that. Would be, be you bad. feel what I'm saying? Like like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if we had a Darth Vader in our midst who just was like, Yeah, no guys, come on over here. It's great. Yeah. And then we walked back. You know what I mean? Hey, Alex didn't grow up on Tatooine as a slave, right? Like, just hang on. Was... <laughs> <laughs> so glad you got that joke. <laughs> that was either going to bomb or be successful. Um, I, I think. I think. Oh, I'm a, I'm a very. See, yes. Okay, let's let's talk about this, right? I am a gangster rapper, right? I'm a I'm a pimp rapper, right? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna also, need you. To, I'm gonna need you to draw a line between those two because I don't. I don't know it. I'm sorry. Um, oh, wh which is Wu Tang oh, Clan, or like maybe name method na people in Wu Tang Clan and say this guy's a gangster. Rapper. I would. I would say all right, like this. All right, say I would say it more like this. When I say gangster, think DMX. When okay. I say pimp, think too. When I say pimp, think too short. Got you. Got you. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I think I've always said that when you know how the. Hollywood has a, a tendency to ask you about your script or movie. It's like, oh, it's like the running man meets uh, Jason Bourne. Like, mm -hmm. they, they like for you to give them things that's easy. So I had learned early on to be like, okay, my style is like too short meets DMX. So people can understand, like, gotcha. my content my content is really similar to too short, but my delivery is more similar to DMX. So that's meet me in the middle. So that's... Oh, so, I got you. I got you. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You know, the same thing happens to the startup community. They're like, we're we're Uber, but for X, or we're exactly. Amazon, but for X. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have to bring it down to a way that people can can visualize and be like, okay, okay, I get where you, I get where you're coming from, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but at the same time, I am Uber, 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 Uber sci-fi geek. I'm like Me too. to the to the tenth power, like. X-Men lore is canon in my head like I grew up with Xavier like he's my little brother type shit like I I know comics backwards and forth and Star Wars is um one of my uh my pet uh I don't know I one of my pet IPs that I just love I've read almost every single one of the books and comics involved in the Star Wars universe you know what I'm saying the Star Wars canon is very important to me and I hate how they fucked up I haven't seen any of those last three movies oh you didn't even watch them i watched the first one i mean i slept through the first one and i, I watched pieces of that garbage um hot flaming garbage <laughs> this, 
there's there's no solo kids. You kill Han Solo instead of Chewbacca. Chewbacca was supposed to die in the books. Chewbacca dies, and it's very traumatic for the whole community. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And why would you not do that? Why would you not just so you can sell fucking Chewbacca toys, right? You well, that's suck. that's clearly why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chewbacca toy tells a, sells a lot yeah. better than uh, old ass Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So you know, and there's no solo kids. That, that 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 bothers me. Like that was an achievement in literature, like for sci-fi. They did something with those kids, and then they didn't even bring those kids in. It's like ridiculous to me. I, I'm, yeah. So, like I said, I'm a geek too. I'm a nerd. I'm a straight up nerd. You know, I was a. I used to be on the corner with the gangsters with War and Peace in my pocket. Oh, damn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What was that? So that's just. I've always been like this. You know what I'm saying? I've always been bridging the the you know i was in i got i was in uh when like for instance like when i was in the ninth grade right i was in remedial english right because mm-hmm. of my behavior remedial <laughs> remedial english because of my behavior right and so the teacher is reading uh we're in the class and she's having us read foundation right i don't know if you know the book foundation by isaac asimov yeah i do but uh uh, it's one of my favorite books. I know it backwards and forward. I read it when I was like 10 years old. Mind you, I'm like 15 in this class. And she's trying to uh, give a, a a lesson about the book. And I'm like, no, that's not what happened. <laughs> <laughs> no, that didn't happen. No. I'm like, that's not what happened in the book. She's telling, she's telling, and I'm, I'm constantly correcting it to the point where my mother had to get a lawyer because this lady had a vendetta against me. Like, we were beefing, like, beefing beefing like she would see me in the parking lot of the school and tell me don't come to my class i have a referral for you in the, in the principal's office like before school even started oh my gosh and so whatever after after the lawyer got involved and um so i'm in remit mind you i'm in remedial english right my mom gets her lawyer friend to it wasn't even a he just wrote a letter right he wrote oftentimes all that's needed come to find out yeah, come to find out, I'm in the top one percentile of all children in reading comprehension. And they're like, why the hell is he in remedial English? So they put me in honors English. First half of the year, I got two Fs, right? You got four quarters of the year, I got two Fs <laughs> in remedial English. I went to honors English and got straight A's. Yep. So that's like literally the story of my life. It's always doubt. And pushing me into that corner, like you're not good enough. And then I move spaces to a very high echelon of people, and they're like, "Oh, this is where you belong." Yeah, which is what I feel like with the community. It's like I came in the rooms, I was like, "Hey guys, hey guys." And next thing I know, I'm one of the leaders. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's why I love most of that too, man. I mean, yeah, I I I definitely empathize with that that story. Uh, from ninth grade that you told because like I, I had the same thing like I was uh, I would I would ace all my tests right but I never did homework because I already knew the material yeah. and it was a fucking waste yeah. of time <laughs> yeah. but so yes. like what yes. would you think as a teacher though if someone never turns in their homework and then gets A's on every test you'd think they were a cheater obviously <laughs> and so yeah I got well you know what you know what I, I guess I was blessed because what I used to get was I know you're bored in this class I know this, I know you know this stuff, but mm. I need you to do the work. I need you to show your work 
so that I can grade you properly. Because if you don't do the work, then I can't pass you. Even though I know you know the material, yeah. you have to do the work. That's how they used to come at me. Because they knew that I knew what the fuck was going on. I was like, I'm not doing that shit. I got girls to chase and money to make. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm not doing this shit. Like, yeah, I, I get it. But you're right. They think. If they if they don't realize your intelligence, automatically, they're going to think you're cheating. Sure. Yep. You weren't paying attention in class. You got to, hey, how the fuck did you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, that's what's so cool about those, about Clubhouse in, in particular, is that just like you, when I joined there and I start, I just, I, I speak and people instantly recognize, oh shit, this guy, mm-hmm. this guy knows what's, what's up. And, yep. uh, it's, it's a perfect democratization of, of leadership, honestly, that app. It, it does a very good job. It's a true meritocracy. It is a true meritocracy. If you merit a position of power, you will receive one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. <laughs> and you get removed from that position of power Quick. the second you don't deserve You don't it perform. The <laughs> second you don't perform, you, you, ask, you ask out. You out of here. Because yep. we don't have no, there's no, there's no uh, nepotism, connections, sympathy. It's, hey, you can do the job. Do you want to do the job? Because actually right now we're not paying. <laughs> that's another level too. Yeah. You gotta think about that. That's just, that, that puts it on another. Really, I I appreciate what I appreciate the most. Right, is I put hundred and ten percent effort in everything I do. So when I decided to be a part of the community, I did that as well. And what I realized is the people at top found ways to put some money in my pocket, even if they couldn't pay me directly for all the effort I'm doing. Here, we can pay you for this, though. Can you do this? Yep. Can you do meaning the catering, the the writing? There, there's money coming in. It's not like I, I can honestly say I've made a couple thousand dollars on Clubhouse. Like, damn. Yeah, that's better than, you know what I'm saying? 99%, I think 99% of people on Clubhouse, because most people on Clubhouse are just on Clubhouse. And yeah. I don't even think of monetizing the situation. You know what I'm saying? Have you actually so, hooked it up to Stripe uh, to where people can send you money directly? Cause that, yeah, yeah. I, I have not done. I, I actually just recently did that. I don't think I've made any money through Clubhouse. Oh no, no, nobody's giving me any. Nobody's giving me any money. But no, there was a couple of opportunities. Of right. I've written a, lot, a couple of articles. You know what I'm saying? And the catering, I made like about a thousand dollars on the catering. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And 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 I was in part of the uh, the pizza day thing. Right? Oh, pizza day. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so pizza day. I made a lot of money off that, bro. I made a lot of money off of that because with the money they gave us, I was going to just sell pizzas. But instead, I took all of that money and I invested it in uh, pizza supplies. Oh, we should probably explain what the pizza thing is to folks that don't know, because there's a lot of people that listen to this that are probably swimming in about 20 terms by this point that weren't out there. That <laughs> they, they don't okay. know. So like uh, so someone a long time ago, I can't remember what year it was, but it was before Bitcoin was $40,000 a coin, right? Uh, was it hungry. Was 30, it was like 32 cents. Yeah. So he Bitcoin, spent 10, freaking worthless, yeah. right? And he was, but he was hungry. And he had a lot of Bitcoin. And so he called up a pizza joint. He was like, I can I get food for no, Bitcoin? That's not how it happened. Oh, really? Oh, correct me. Go for it. Okay. So so what happened was there was I, I actually wrote an article about this. this is what I <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um what happened was there was this thing called BitTalk Forum, right? And it was kind of like Craigslist for the early people mm. involved in Bitcoin, right? And so he was he was determined to he had he was hungry and he didn't have any cash but he had a lot of bitcoin 
So he posted on the, the forum that he was willing to give up X amount, which was 10000 which was about $25. No, 40 My mistake. It was about 40 bucks worth of Bitcoin, right? And he was, he was like, he wanted to get a pizza. He figured, you know, pizza wasn't $40, so he was, you know. So there was a guy, in, a British guy, who called Little, was it Little? No, Papa John's. I think it was Papa John's. Yeah, Papa John's. So he calls Papa John's, and he orders the guy two pizzas. He wanted one. He ordered him two pizzas. It came out to like 25 bucks. So even then, he made a profit. Yeah. <laughs> the first, so the first, from the first beginning, he made a profit, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so he got 10,000 Bitcoin, and the guy got two pizzas. And it wasn't until years later when the price of Bitcoin started rising, and people were looking at the ledger. And somebody saw the ledger and said, who the fuck <laughs> sold 10,000 Bitcoin? What, what was that for? And then the story came out. And then year after year, it just became legendary until we had Clubhouse. And now you have a room started by people like Snacks and a couple other people from the Pizza Dow, where they were sitting there just kicking the bobo, talking shit. And somebody was like, man, pizza should be free. And then somebody else was like, yeah, we should use crypto to make it free. And then somebody else was like, that's an aha moment. And it just snowballed. I think it was like February or March. Mm -hmm. And Pizza Day, the day is uh, May 22nd, which happens to be my little brother's birthday. Why well, I would never forget it anyway. But um, <laughs> it's uh, May 22nd is now officially Bitcoin Pizza Day. Because that's the anniversary so, of the guy yeah. ordering the pizza for what amounts yeah. to what if each Bitcoin is thirty seven thousand dollars in today's money, then that's what three hundred and seventy yeah. million dollars for a pizza. Is what that guy. Think made. about it this way too: uh, the day, the actual Bitcoin day, I think was around uh, Bitcoin's all time high too. It was like May twenty second. So think about it. So it was probably around like fifty eight, sixty thousand dollars the actual day. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. And his name is Laszlo, and they found him, and they talked to him, and he's, you know, he is as you can expect for someone who missed out on that kind of thing. He's a dejected. Oh yeah, I mean, to say the least. Did he like basically empty his Bitcoin wallet to get that pizza? No. Well, but still, I think it was the majority. Oh snap! Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, he's not rich. Yeah, <laughs> he's not rich. He's not rich. Can no. he buy a Hyundai? I guess that's my question. <laughs> like a ghost guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean like the crappy knockoff Honda. Can he can he buy a crappy car with the with the Bitcoin he has left? Probably, I wonder. I, I hope so. But did, you did, did you never hear about the guy from uh, who uh, the the uh, founder of Dogecoin? Uh, I've heard stuff about Dogecoin and like it. Okay, the guy who started Dogecoin sold all of his Dogecoin for a Hyundai. <laughs> I had not heard that. <laughs> is that what triggered? Is that what triggered Elon Musk to say, "Well, we might start accepting Dogecoin"? Like, was that a well, joke or something? Elon Musk. Elon Musk has been active with the Dogecoin developers for at least three years. You know, I would three. put Elon Musk on my list of possible bad actors that I have my eye on. Would you? Top of the list. I'm actually writing a a comic book where he's the main bad guy. 
Yeah, I mean, for a guy who's yeah, making electric like cars and trying to make a affordable space your, program, your sound just crazy. Your sound went crazy. I mean, are you, is this the AI or Daniel? This is me. There we go. All right. Better? Much better. Yeah, much better. Where cool. Uh, so we were talking about how Elon Musk is easily uh, the most concerning uh, supervillain that is possibly going <laughs> to. Yeah. He's the real life fucking Lex Luthor, bro. Like, real life. I mean, for a guy making I'm electric cars. I mean, he's trying Listen, to make electric cars and space travel be affordable, and yet somehow still manages to strike me as a supervillain. Like, that's, that's a magic trick. I don't know. <laughs> Just waiting for him to shave his head and for the Lex Luthor comparison to just be complete. One day he pops out bald, we we know. If he buys the world supply of kryptonite, like that, that'll be the the straw that breaks the camel's back. That's for sure. <laughs> but um, so yeah, and um, I also think Mark Cuban is another slick, slippery character. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I think uh, like, he's trying to corner the market on the NFT space. Like he's trying to become the authority. And you know, I don't and, and DeFi too. He's trying to corner the DeFi market as well, and and that is not altruistic. You know what I'm saying? Those are the big honey pots in the world right now because DeFi is about replacing the banking system. Mark Cuban is young enough to envision a world of 40, 50 years of games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I don't trust him either. He's a slippery character to me, but. I do love what he's doing for the space. I just don't know what his end goals are. You know what I mean? Right. Because you hear that guy. He's the guy from Shark Tank, right? And you hear him on Shark yeah. Tank and he's like, okay, so how do we make money from this? Or how exactly. Do... So like, yeah. it's hard yeah. to believe that he just drops that philosophy when it comes to DeFi. Right. <laughs> and now you want, yeah, right. And now you want to democratize this shit, right? You want to help everybody make money. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, I, unless unless you had a come to Jesus moment in the last uh, year, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I buy it. Yeah, I believe you. Um, yeah, I mean it. It is the wild west, but like it feels like we do have an opportunity as uh, as the people here to actually actually do some good here. Like we we got all the tools in our toolbox. It's just a matter of like not not letting bad people come in and take the space first it seems to me yes that's what that's what it is and, and I, I will say in my honest opinion it has always been our fault in the 60s there was a movement away from corporate culture and the establishment and that that bred the 70s and the disco and a lot of independent record labels and then they got crushed by the 80s and the me movement and being big as Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna and they become uber celebrities and we come into the 90s and we all know that oh my god they actually had horrible lives and you don't want to live like that and that shit is terrible and the record companies were screwing them and we come into the 90s and we repeat the fucking process yeah right I mean, and it, I've heard the the horror story of like what it was like to go on tour for a major record label. Do you want to do you want to share what your experience was like when you toured with Snoop? Well, well, when we toured with Snoop, it was not a major label experience. Snoop was no longer. Uh, this was 2011. That was the Dogfather campaign, and yeah, yeah. the way we were able to go on that tour was because 
we, I, the dude that inspired me to get in the middle of the street and uh, sell CDs, who then was called Prop Soprano, now he's, he's called Derek Real, is a, a hustler of the highest caliber. And uh, he has those connections. And we ended up doing merch for Corrupt on the tour. We were selling like Corrupt CD and our CD. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Everybody had their, we were, it wasn't even a group effort. Everybody was a solo artist. So it would be like, we would be in the crowd selling CDs, selling their CDs mm-hmm. for 10 bucks, right? We sell them their CDs for $10. Yep. We give, we give back five, we keep five, and we're selling our CDs. So we're in there in the crowd selling two for 20. I'm pushing, I'm pushing corrupt, but I'm like, you know, I'm an indie artist too, support me as well. Yeah. And um, so we're selling, so I'm making $15 a sale. I'm getting $5 off his CD. I'm getting $10 for my CD. And it was the sweet life, to be honest with you, because that's Snoop, bro. Those were packed shows, the crowd of people who are enthusiastic and have money, because we're not talking about Snoop in his prime. We're talking about Snoop as an icon. So you're not coming there for the latest record. You're coming for the catalog. So you're a real fan. And so from there, we just kept it moving on the street. But I would say that the thing I noticed about being on Snoop's tour is, see, Snoop was touring in support of his album. Yep. And it was his album. Yep. You know what I mean? And so he he really dictated where he went and how he went and what he was doing. You know, sometimes there were small shows. Sometimes there were big shows. We did... Um, he does like the Voodoo Fest in New Orleans every Halloween. And that shit is just humongous. But he also does like, he did like, you know, small club shows in Mississippi. So being able to do what you want is critical to me. I, I've never been down with the major label system. You know what I mean? It's like, pretty um, awful. It's eh? everyone I know who's gone through it has nothing but terrible things to say about it. Like, honestly, yeah, pretty much. no one I'm, has gone through that system and been like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that's great. I love my label. Yeah. I love the guys at my label. Oh my God. The, my A&R, he's the best. Never heard that shit in my life. Never, never. And <laughs> uh, like, like you said, like, I mean, you, you've done this for a long time. You've turned down major record uh, deals and you know why? It's because they are trying to screw you over on yeah. every and, freaking time. Every time. And the main reason I, I, I turned down the record deals is because I read them. Yeah. They're it, like, it's we're going to give you this much money up front. You're going to cover You're going to use that money to cover any equipment costs that you might need to, to go on tour. You're going to use that to pay for your travel, which means you're going to buy a crappy used car, probably. Um, and uh, it's your responsibility to get to all those shows on time. We'll change the schedule on you maybe at the last minute. And um also, you only really make money from uh, from ticket sales at those shows. Uh, but yeah. other than that, like we make the money from any album sales, and we make the money from any yeah. plays. Like, yeah. what a crappy deal! Yeah. So basically, they're gonna look you dead in your face, and they're gonna say, "Look, so out of this ten dollars, we're gonna give you eighty five cents, and you're gonna do all the fucking work, mm-hmm. and you're gonna do everything. And every ten dollars we make, I might give you eighty five cents. How's that feel?" And feel good? what if you, you sign like that? a three album contract, right? And like, and you run out of that creative juice at the end of that three album contract and you can't quite finish it off and they're not happy with you. And the, now they put in like a little closet, like now you're paying a penalty. Now, now you're in the hole. You just worked your oh, ass yeah. off as hard as you could. And you said something beautiful because I never got offered a three album deal. I got offered nine, eight, eight and seven. Dang. You know what I'm saying? Oh and my gosh. They, the, the, the last deal that I got offered was from Universal. Well, you know, through a, 
uh, uh, imprint that, yeah, but their yeah. distribution was universal, whatever. It was in 2001, we would have got out of the contract in 2015. Oh my gosh. Ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? That was, and, and, and that that's an even funnier story because to be honest with you, we were going to sign it, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the thing. So imagine this, right? Imagine this scenario. It is September 10th 2001 right your contract is going to the courier to go to fedex in the morning of september 11th 2001 <laughs> blocks away from the world trade center right universal building, right so um the contract that was supposed to go to the courier on the 11th the tuesday morning right so September 11th happened Tuesday. This was Monday. Monday, everything was finalized. Boom, 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 boom. It's gone, right? It was, I was in a two-man group, right? So it was $100,000 each personal advance, a $250,000 recording budget, right? Mm. And uh, I forget how much was um, uh, promotion and marketing budget, but it was a significant deal. Yeah, right? that sounds tempting. It was, it was, it was legit. And the producer was somebody who ended up becoming somebody like he had some hits under his belt. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be like our main producer and they were giving him stupid points. They were giving him four points on our songs, which was a lot, but whatever. So explain that we, for we, folks that don't know licensing deals. Uh, for, uh, you're talking about a percentage, a percentage point. Yep. Yeah. Percentage point. Yes. Yeah, there were four, four percentage points on our publishing. Right. So, which was a fucking lot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? One is kind of acceptable and standard. You know what I'm saying? One, maybe two, right? Mm-hmm. He was given four. So, whatever. So now September 11th happened. Blah, 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 blah. You know, shit's in turmoil. They don't know what's going to happen. Wow. Actually- that is the best summary of September 11th I've ever heard in, in less than three <laughs> seconds. Uh, shit happens, blah, 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 and we don't even know what the fuck's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. Like, are we at war? What's going to happen? Is the world cracking? Yeah. Half? Who knows what's going to happen? Right? So November, a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, we finally get the contracts. Right? And the contract has been revised because of the new, because of the shifting landscape and the uncertainty in the music business was one of the lines in the cover letter, right? Huh. Um, the new contract was... $12,500 to be split between the two of us. What? A $100,000 $100, recording budget and a $50,000 marketing budget. Holy crap. Like, yeah. And they added two more albums to the deal. And they, they like sent that to you with a straight face. like Straight face. And they told us that the 12-5 would be split in three. So we would get one third upon signing, a third upon completion of the record, <laughs> and the last third upon release of the record. I mean, we'll give you guys twelve thousand dollars, but like in three easy payments. <laughs> legit, legit had like fifteen thousand dollars in my pocket. And was like, no, thank you. Yeah, no, yeah. thank you. I don't, thanks, but no thanks. I don't blame thanks, you, man. But no thanks. That that was the last deal I turned down. The last major deal I turned down. I turned down some. You know, rinky dink drug dealers in the neighborhood trying to sign me for ten grand, but 
I don't really count that shit as like a real record deal because uh, the one guy who came to me with like some uh, shit he downloaded off the internet, like you know, like Zoom, like the what, what is that? You know, the shit that that um, OJ's lawyer. What is that? That 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 website? Uh, the legal Zoom is that what it legal is? Legal Zoom, yeah, legal Zoom. Yeah, legal Zoom. Yeah, he came to me with one of them contracts, with like some you know some standard template. I looked at him and I was like, and so. <laughs> what's your plan what's your plan for how you're gonna how you gonna sell my music right and he was like man we just gonna you know and literally those were his words we're just gonna you know we're just gonna you know yeah you know what else do you like, need lo what <laughs> else do you need <laughs> no yeah public service announcement to everyone who uses legal zoom anyone who's ever seen a document written by an actual lawyer instantly will recognize that that document was not written by an actual lawyer like the lawyers just write differently than, than yeah, that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. It's like, okay, no thanks. <laughs> uh, like for instance, I've never seen a lawyer use bold text in any document. Right. Like all caps, anything they want to emphasize or call out. Right. Like yeah. just little stuff like that makes little it so stuff, clear. Yeah. So clear. Yeah. Formatting. It's formatting. Yeah. It's just... But anyway, so I digress. But you know, so as a, like for a young artist listening to us, I would tell do your own research is the most underrated advice in the world. Do your own research, man. All of these concepts are out here. It is free to learn. Do some digging. Find out. Read some horror stories from artists and understand what, what was the Jason or the Freddy Krueger in their career. What was the horror? Yeah. What part of their contract really sucked? Mm -hmm. Because we always, you know, we say that these contracts suck and people got screwed over by the record label, but we don't really expound on what are the things that fuck you over. Well, it's yeah, and like to, to that end, ask yourself, yeah. like, sorry to interrupt, um, but yeah, I, I just want to add that, like, ask yourself, why, why are you interested in signing to a label or signing a contract, mm -hmm. right? Like, seriously, ask yeah. you. Is it like you just feel like that's what that's how I become an official professional musician? Well, you're fundamentally wrong if that's what you're thinking, right? Like, get out there, play live shows. You can get paid to play shows at like coffee shops or small venues, and it it doesn't take that long of playing a few open mics to get your name out there and get offers for that. Like, you can start yeah. making money that way. Do that. Pay I promise you, promoters and people who put on shows, crews, open mics, looking for somebody to put on a stage. Always, and, always. Yeah, and you that's can the way the game works. You know when they're there too. When you're playing an open yeah. mic, after you've done it for a little bit, you you're like, oh, that's a new face I haven't seen in here before, and he's wearing a uh -huh. jacket. Like you, you know, uh -huh. you know who's the who's the rich guy in the back? Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who's the guy talking to the organizers? Who's this guy getting all this deferential treatment? Okay, now I start to see what's going on here. And that, and I will give another tip with that. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from a well-placed entertainer was you treat important people normal and normal people important. Yeah. Far in life. Absolutely. You understand what I'm saying? So that goes for like when you start bumping into the Russell Simmons and the Puff Daddies of the world, you treat them like any other dude, right? But when you get to a position where you start to have fans and you start to be recognized, you treat those people like you just met Michael Jackson. 
Mm-hmm. Like you just bumped into the Pope. You treat those people normal. When you see a fan who loves your shit and who can recite your lyrics and knows your music by heart, you treat that person like you're the fan. You be uber excited to meet them. And I promise you, your legend will grow. That is some fantastic advice. Uh, while we're on the topic of fantastic advice for struggling or new musicians, I'll throw out their uh, super common mistake if you're playing like a, an open mic show is to go up there and introduce every single song or like even start with a, hey, my name is and like this next song I'm going to play is uh, XYZ. Yeah. Don't do that. Just let, start playing, yeah. start playing. Yeah. Let the guy say, and here's Daniel Shower. He's going to play some songs for you. They will clap. Wait for them to stop clapping. You are playing this entire time. And when they're done clapping, you start singing that first verse or whatever. Like do something like that because that's every professional show you've ever been to. The artist did not walk out and say anything. They walked out, they played a song and then they said, Hey, we're blank from blank. We're so happy to be here. That's how they do it. So emulate that, copy that. Let the music talk for you because mm-hmm. that's what you're there to do. You're not there to, you know, you're not the MC or the entertainer or the, you know, the host of the show. You're the act. You are the musical act. Bring the music and then connect with the crowd. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely believe with that because uh, one of the things I used to do is that's what made me want, like, stand-up comedy is, is a lane I definitely want to end up in, in before I go, too, is because I remember, like, in my shows, that's how I got over my stage fright. Mm-hmm. I just started cracking jokes. You know what I mean? I would be on stage and I would like, you know, I'd crack a joke about people in the audience and then we, I get them on my side and that now let the beat drop and then we go into the joint. You know what I mean? So it's like a, a party. It's like you, you you feel like we're here together and so, because I, I, I'm, I can not say I've never been wildly famous or anything. I've always done like small intimate gigs. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so... It's, it's like, you know, I try to build that community even while I'm on stage. Like, you know, I'm not, no, this is not no TV shit, bro. This is me. I'm just me. We yeah. out here. We just having fun. This is hip hop, you know? It's yeah. A party, like a backyard party, corner party, park party. Like, you know, I keep the vibe. It, it breaks to- down that the stage fright, loosens you up. But like also humor is such a great way to deal with a heckler. If you get one in an audience, oh, like, sure. oh my God, yeah. that shuts that. Trying to fight back or like talk back to the heckler in anything other than a joke almost always fails. Like, but if oh, you yeah. just ridicule the guy and be like, someone who get that very drunk person some more whiskey, he gets kicked out real fast or gets laughed at oh, and yeah. shuts up. So, oh yeah, for sure. Like for me, when I, 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 I you just made me remember an incident I had where dude was like talking shit, and I was like, guess who's not getting any pussy lately? <laughs> And the whole the building almost shook people were laughing so hard. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> the shit like that though is just, you know, it's fun, man. It's fun. You gotta have fun with the people. And then when you get off stage, that's when everybody wants to shake your hand and meet you and they want to know more about you. And you know, yeah. I've been COVID yeah. fucked it up because I was away from music for a long time. And as I came back, there was nowhere to go perform. You know what I'm saying? So now I'm chomping at the bit because Miami, you know, we yeah, it's always somewhere to, to get on the mic. When once once shit gets back to normal, it's like, yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun again, you know. Yeah. And I now mean, I have the food truck, so I have plans of having like, I want to take the food truck out and get like a stage and a sound system and just set up open mics on my own because now you know, like I I write for the NFTS tips. We have this thing called the Writers Block, and um, 
we have an agreement with uh, also with NFTS dot WTF and I over there I'm overseeing with the origin store you know the the music section yeah I need to find artists and I don't I'm in Miami this is a tourist hub and I feel like there should be a venue that we're in control of that just anybody can just come up and get on stage man come let it out you know what I mean and then we'll find some of the the great talents that are out there and uh, I'm trying to set that up right now. I'm in the process of doing that. I have the food truck already. I'm just looking for a, a space in Miami. Or I'm, it may be a rolling circus type thing. I don't know. We're, we're working on it. But that's definitely in the plans. It should be done by maybe the end of summer or at least by the next beginning of the next season. Like by, by spring break next year, we will definitely have that jumping off as things start to open back up. so That's a good idea. And with the food truck thing, like, I don't know if your laws down in, in Florida are similar to the laws up here in Washington State, but like in Washington State, it's easier and cheaper to open a, a bar if all you sell, like if you don't sell food, right? But it's it's perfectly legal to do that and then set up a food truck in your parking lot. So like you could, you can maybe lower your cost, right? Like have the venue technically only be serving food, uh, only oh, be serving, yeah, drinks, right? <laughs> Oh, that's the plan. Well, I, I, I don't even uh, a liquor license, a full bar liquor license is really expensive. But beer, so I was going to go beer and wine. Yeah, yeah there you beer, go. A beer and wine license is like five, ten thousand dollars, and it's it's really easy to get. It's like being a grocery store type. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And um, <clears throat> that's the, actually the thought too of like getting like maybe like a little corner store, or a grocery store with a parking lot, and throw the food truck in the parking lot and have like parties there in the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? That's a a regular occurrence here in Miami, like, cause you know, the weather's so nice. You could just be outside and they throw a couple um parts on top of the space. So even if it rains, right. Covered, boom, boom, boom. So we, like I said, we have definitely an imagination of a, 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 a concept of a crypto gardens. Also make it like a, a onboarding station where you can come learn about crypto. You probably pay for the food and crypto, you know, stuff like that. Definitely, cool. definitely in the works as we speak. So, got new music out, got new music coming. Uh, I, like I said, I'm very prolific. Uh, I've dropped three albums in the last 14 months. I got another three coming. How many albums have you released total in my lifetime? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Probably more like 25, 30 at right now. That's, that's good, man. I, 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 have, I have seven, but uh, yeah. Uh, no, I got normally. Normally, I beat most people in, in album count or release counts. So that, that's uh, that's a truly prolific, man. That's awesome. I've, I've dropped maybe 10, 11 albums by myself. I've dropped maybe seven or eight with my group, and I've been part of like random um compilation, probably like so in Miami. <laughs> you know, a lot of places, you know, the the mob, the cr- criminal element is, you know, what funds music business. In Miami, it's so much worse. So I used to get paid by like the, you know, the 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 criminal element, the drug dealers in my neighborhood to corral their their groups. So like let's say like this one dude, he had a he had rented out one of the most expensive studios in Miami for six months. Right? <laughs> Whoa. Booked, booked it out for six months. And they had eight days left and one song. Oh, my God. 
They were in there partying all the time, you know, bitches, drinks, weed, all type of shit. They was having the time of their lives, bringing all kind of fly people there. Like, look, we look, we rented out this studio, but nobody thought to make some damn music. <laughs> right? So yeah. they made a whole bunch of beats. They made a whole bunch of beats because the guys was producers. So, you know, the the main the main source of income, he didn't really give a fuck what was going on. He was just paying for shit. And his boy had just got out of prison, right? Mm. The guy he started with. And so he was trying to help him get back on his feet with the music shit. He didn't want to do what they were used to doing. So this was what he was trying to, he was trying to help his boy. It was a very noble thing, right? So <laughs> they came to me with eight days left. And I gave him two albums worth of material. Damn, dude. That's a and magic I trip. Bang, 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 bang. But I don't have access to those albums. And those albums, they, and they press like 5,000 vinyl. That album exists. It's out there. It's called The Cult. If any, anybody listening is a collector, you got that? Yeah, that's me. I was the low life on that record. I was on nine of 12 songs. On that <laughs> Dang. You know what I mean? And we banged it out in like a week. And I did that shit repeatedly. After, after I did that for him, so there was a bunch of other people who came to me like that. Like, you know what I'm saying? So... It's not like it's my album, but I'm kind of, I guess, executive producer of the album. I don't know what you would call that because I rap on the album. I, you know, Sounds I like you fill in the blanks for a better term, right? I'm a fixer. That's what I am. I fix your shit. If it's fucked yeah. up, bring it to me. I'll fix it for you. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I won't dot all your I's and cross your T's, but I'm a macro guy. I'll figure out what you need to be doing, and I'll help you get there. You know what I'm saying? You're going to have to do the legwork, though. You're going to have to finish it because I got other shit I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? I'm I, very excited. You know what I mean? But I, I, I've helped a lot of people. And we had a studio in Miami, um, 45 Life Studios. We were uh, in from about 2000, right after we turned down the deal. So we just went into overdrive on being indie, indie out. And so we, we opened the studio and um, we, were, we were doing pretty good. And we were putting out a lot of albums from our, our clients. You know what I mean? A lot of indie albums from our clients. And that's where I met Prob. And Prob is the guy who got me into selling my CDs hand to hand. Because even back then, so we're talking 2002, three. he used to go to Disc Makers. Remember Disc Makers? Yes, I do. <laughs> right? So he used to go to Disc Makers and he would press up like 1,000, 2,000 CDs and he would sell them every single one for $10 a pop. Wow, that's super impressive because I've heard personally a lot of stories of people that bought 2,000 CDs thinking 2,000 is not that many CDs, but 2,000 is a lot of fucking CDs. No, um, it's not. Uh, it is to some people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I never ordered 10,000 CDs. Let me put it that way. Oh, man. Listen, my man, when, at, when, when shit got real, we had burners. We had the CD burners. We had the towers, right? Oh, yeah. And we used to. And we used to go after fuck disc makers. After a while, we was like, hmm, I'm off that, right? So what we used to do was go to Walmart. And Walmart used to sell a hundred blank CDs yep. for ten dollars. Yep. Right? We used to go in there and buy them by the thousand and stand in the middle of the street and sell our CDs. That's when we evolved though. As time went on, we evolved and we we had I personally had this uh pay what you want business model, right? Yep, I like that one. So we have the CDs. Hey, man, listen, I'm not, and, and especially because it was kind of like panhandling. The police started getting on us. And I was like, hey, hey, nope, I'm not selling nothing, sir. I am giving this away. And if somebody want to give me money, that's cool. But these are free. 
Right. And what ended up happening was it aggregates out to about $5 a CD, right? Some people give you 20, some people give you 50. You might get a random 100. You right. might get a one, a two, a f- but it for like it's a mathematical fact. I don't care what, for me personally, maybe somebody else might average more money, but for me, my physical appearance, I average $5 a CD. If I stand out there for eight hours, I'm, however many CDs I sell, when I do the math, it comes out to five dollars a CD. Yeah, and it's insane. I did that for like maybe six or seven years. I was doing that, and I, 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 we were averaging about between fifty and eighty thousand CDs a year. So that's like so what? We, it's a four ninety in profit, right? If if we account for the price of the CD, the blank CD, right? But yeah, no, well, no, the CD price went up eventually, but yeah, you know, then you got to think about we used to send out to like Jack Prince and get covers made. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Is like, yeah, you got to buy the sleeves. So I did the same thing. Like, did you ever use Lightscribe, the kind of CD that you could burn the data on one side and then flip it over into the same drive and burn like a a label that was printed right onto the CD? Yeah, 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 yeah. But it took forever. So like, if you accounted for like the burn time of the the music and then yeah, we said fuck that. Yeah, yeah, it was like one of them was taking three hours. I was like, no, it was easier to just write on the CD, write on the blank CD from Walmart. Yeah, it was way easier. We said fuck that. That it was just too much. It took too long. Yep. I mean, the results looked great, but they amazing. Looked professional as hell. Yeah, looked professional as hell. But we found out that they didn't care. They exactly. Care no one cares. That. No even, one cares. Yeah. Not even just that. It looked like, you know, what some guy told me once it, when your CD was too professional and you're selling it on the street, you know what it looks like? It looks like you had a record deal and you fell off and the label gave you the rest of the shit that the, the record stores couldn't sell and you're out here hawking your bullshit. Oh. Mm. Whereas if it's a handwritten CD, it's like, look at all this talent that's going to waste in the street, and he's determined to be famous. And look, look how hard this kid has worked. Oh my God, did you hear this music? It's amazing. It could have been the same fucking record. Yep. The same record. But when it's too polished, you look like you fell. And when it's new, it looks like, oh shit, look what I discovered. This guy's just starting out. Right. And no matter what you did, no matter how polished it did look, like it still had a green or blue background. You know, the, the principles. Exactly. It still wasn't. It wasn't. It, you know wasn't, it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it was less than. Yeah. No yeah. matter what you did. So you might as well play that up. And right. be like, oh, wow. Look at what this is. This is so good for what it is. Because a lot of people who would um, give me like the one dollar or the five dollars would take the CD, go listen to it and be like, oh, shit, this is hot and come back. And give me more money because like wow no this was good bro I, I didn't expect that a lot of people told me that yep i used to uh used to have like a picture of my home studio that i would carry around with me when i was hawking cds for sale at open mics and i'd be like yeah no it, this cd was made out of this like and it's just like a computer with a microphone and like my guitar or yeah it's just like exactly. yeah i'm just a guy in a room yeah. I, I could use your 10 bucks. Please give me your 10 Please bucks. Help yeah. Please help me. Yeah. <laughs> Please help me. Please help me. But I also, you know, we touched, we say this laughingly, but for those listening, in this new economy, that is the impetuous for people to give you money. They want to help you. You have to cultivate patrons and matrons of the arts. What we what we need to do is get back to a, a, a culture where the artist is supported by his fans. I, I make this stuff for you guys. 
so you guys could help me out here, bro. Help me out. I need a little bit of, I need to be able to sustain myself so I can keep making this art that we all love. And that's not just me, that's for everybody as a community. You know what I'm saying? We need to be supported. We need to support each other. And that's what it's about. If you like a particular artist, make sure you stream it. Make sure you buy it. Make sure you go see him. Make sure you buy his merch because that's what's going to keep him making that shit that you like. Because if you don't, then don't be mad when he disappears. Right. I And let's uh, let's tie it all the way back to NFTs here and, and be clear that like, I think NFTs do give an opportunity kind of like of uh, like a farmer's market for music in a way, right? You're, you're literally directly paying the artist mm-hmm. for that music as opposed to going yeah. through iTunes or Amazon Music or whatever uh, as some intermittent. Like it could not be a more direct way for you to say, I value your art. Here is some money in exchange for your art. Thank you. It's, yes. It's the best. So. Right, right. When you decide, when you decide that you're tired of it and you want to sell it, you make some money off of it, and the artist still gets another little piece because you never know where he might be in his life at, or her life at that point. So right. that that's another even interesting dynamic to that. That makes it just even that much more, you know. Yeah, the resellability, the uh, yeah, the the rights management in in the future. You know, uh, yeah. I think that'll be a thing for sure. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I see that we've been recording for like an hour and 15 and there was like, oh, at least 20 minutes of preamble to try and get the stupid yeah. audio meeting to work. I want to be respectful of your time. And, um, so like, uh, let me, let me ask you this. Um, are, are there any, uh, social handles or, uh, like websites that you want to point people to? I know you're a painter, you're, you're a music producer. So like, where can people yeah. find your stuff? So, um, I think Twitter is the best Twitter and Instagram. And on Twitter, I am at low sleazy L O W S L E A Z Y. And on Twitter, I mean, on Instagram, it's the same, but an underscore between the low and the sleazy. Mm. And um, yeah, there's links to the restaurant. There's links to my website on my website. You can, uh, you can buy a painting. You can get me to guest star on your song. I do a verse for you. You can get a consultation. I, I also do consult for, um, you know, brands and artists and producers, and I help you get your, you know, I don't, I don't sign record deals, but I can get you one if you really want that. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you really, really want, bro, I can get you one, but you know, it'll cost you a penny. You know what I mean? But um, and you might get screwed, as we said. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're probably gonna get screwed, bro. That's why I gotta get my money up front. But I'll tell you, I'll, I'll find them for you. Hey, listen, man, I, I am very well placed. I have a lot of, you know, we didn't touch on that really, but I, I'm, I'm Haitian American, and um, a lot of, if you know about Haitians, you know, even if we're not related, we call ourselves cousins because our parents like grew up with each other or some shit, or like, <laughs> cousins, cousins, or we're cousins by marriage. And most of my cousins are very well placed in the industry. And that's how I got, you know, a lot of places really fast. You know, I, it, that's why I also was not going to get screwed because of my connection. So it's like, I, I don't really respect the nepotism and the favoritism in hip hop. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people I grew up with are household names and I don't call in favors like that. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to build my own shit. Like, you know, we are still family, but I, I don't I don't name drop and be like, oh, because of this, this, this. if you do your research, you'll find out who I'm talking about because it's not, it's not a 
you know, I'm not a secret, you know what I'm saying? But I don't drop names because it's not, that's not what it's about. It's about the music, you know? So I just try to stick to the path. I respect that. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, man, I know we're going to stay in touch because I think we actually have a clubhouse meeting. Uh, meeting about, in like an hour. Yeah. Uh, so like <laughs> normally I wrap it up with like, I'd definitely like to have you on because, uh, and to be clear, I would definitely like to have you back on because we went through this interview and I feel like there's probably a hundred more topics we could talk about uh, and sure. fill another conversation. So well, we should we, we should do definitely do like a, another talk, basically drilling down on straight DeFi because I definitely want the people to get my takes on how we can help this use this to help us get out of the hole we're in you know what i mean absolutely so, i fully agree with uh, that so yeah in the meantime everyone definitely check out los Leasley, uh on all those different uh apps you will find the link oh, you website. know what so and you can find my music on youtube spotify uh apple music whatever under a b n life a b n life a- ABN life. I am the anti bitch nigga life. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's my professional name. Low sleazy is just you know from because the low life thing is so after I stopped making music for a little while, it just the world populated with a whole bunch of low lives, yeah. and my SEO was shot to shit. So I had to change my name. And low sleazy has always been like low life's nickname. So that's what you know everybody knows me at personally, but most people call me life. You know, so ABN Life is what I am professionally. So. All right, man. You're family. If you call me Low Sleazy, you are family. That's what that means. Well, Low, <laughs> as family, <laughs> let me let me just say it was a pleasure having you on. Uh, I can't wait till next time we chat. And uh, uh, yeah, uh, hope you have a great uh, next part of your day, man. All right. Talk to you in about an hour. Peace. <laughs> Peace. <laughs>